everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today on episode number 143 of the Real Life Runners podcast. There's something beautiful about running in that it unites people of all ages, races, genders, or any other defining feature and brings us together in a way that only we can understand. And today we're going to be talking about the unity between all runners. This is the Real Life Runners podcast and we're your hosts, Kevin and Angie Brown. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Now let's get running. So unless you've been under a rock lately, you probably know the state that the world is in right now, specifically the state of the United States. Um, With everything that has been happening, obviously we've been dealing with COVID for a long time, and now there is a lot of tension, rioting, um, protesting, a lot of unrest, civil unrest in the United States right now. And around the world. There right. are protests literally going in countries around the world mm-hmm. in support of the protests that began in the U.S. Right. So even me, who doesn't watch the news, like I, <laughs> you know, and, and I've talked about that many times on this podcast before, how I specifically and deliberately avoid the news for many different reasons. Even I know what's going on right now and have made more of a point to pay attention and to start to learn more and educate myself. And so today we're, Kevin and I, you know, we were talking about how we should react to this whole situation, what our thoughts and our feelings were. And we're not going to get into all of that today um, because this is a running podcast and it does apply to our real life. And that's what we are going to try to touch on here today. Um, So Let's start off with basically what we truly believe, and that is that running is an act of unity. Yes, running is an act of unity. Um, There's something about races that brings people together. And by races, I mean when you stand on a starting line with a number on your chest and they shoot a gun off into the air and off we all go. Off we all go. Like There's something about everybody sort of being in the same challenge and striving to be as, as good as you can. And, you know, you can... You can be racing against the person next to you and then still congratulate them at the finish line, whether you beat them or they beat you, because Mm -hmm. you know that everybody was pushing as hard as they could in the same effort to see how hard they can go. Right. And a lot of times that person that's racing next to you, even if they do end up beating you, help you to run a better race in a lot of cases. I know that's happened to me. Like there's been people that I'm like, I just have to keep up with that person. Like I'll put somebody in my sights and basically allow them to just drag me along and, and I won't let myself let up because I don't want to get further away from that random person that I've chosen. Right. Even if that random person is dude in orange shirt, right. like it's not even Lady like, in skirt. It's all that it is, is yeah. like something about them. You spotted a person in the crowd and you're like, that's the person that I'm going to keep up with. Mm-hmm. So as runners, we can basically understand what it's like to both compete with other people, with ourselves, and also use other people to help us along and to make us rise higher to the challenges that are presented to us. Right. So currently we don't have a lot of road races that we can get into. They're getting canceled left and right. Um, but the world is certainly not without challenges. Um, it's, it's almost as though it's like, all right, we don't have any running races to deal with anymore. Let's see how how many other challenges life can present in front of us. (laughs) I don't I mean, think I don't think the world and the universe like was like oh well the runners don't have their challenges so let's present them here, now here they all come <laughs> just because you don't have a race um, but but there are certainly lots of challenges and so um, we we are big fans of the statement of I am a runner and runners do hard things this clearly applies more than simply I'm able to go out and crank out some quarters or some mile repeats I can run a marathon whatever it is there is so much more than simply what you can do on the roads or the trails that are hard things that you can do in your life right and you know obviously right now there's a lot of racial inequality. I I think that everyone can pretty much admit that there is racial inequality in this country, in the world. And that is not an easy thing to look at. And runners, as runners, we do hard things. So that means we have to acknowledge that this is a reality and even more, try to take steps to correct it. Like it's not enough to just acknowledge that, that it's there. Because quite frankly, that's kind of like step one, you know, like most of us, myself included, um, you know, have been very ignorant to this issue, have, we don't know all of the deep seated 
um, compl- complexities of this issue. And, and I'm, I'm starting to learn it now. Right. I mean, because that's, that's one of the big things is that it is a, a very complex issue. And to look at society and say, yes, there is racial inequality is a very simple statement. Right. But the nuance and the detail and like, what do you do about it and how would we fix it is way more complicated than simply saying there is racial inequality. Mm-hmm. But that is a first step. It is. And some people aren't at the first step. Like, a lot of these protests need to bring that to light and need to allow people to really fully accept that that exists. Well, and a lot of these protests need to stop being violent because I feel like that really detracts from the message that they're trying to put out there. Like if you, if you resort to violence and more of that narrative, then that's what people are going to see. And by pulling back and doing things in a more peaceful manner, in a more organized manner, that's going to be much more effective. Like look at Martin Luther King Jr. He was much more effective with his message than some of the other more violent revolutionaries in the past. Yes. I mean, he. there's a reason why he has this holiday is he was remarkable in what he was able to do through peaceful action. Mm-hmm. And I mean, the overwhelming majority of these protesters out there are doing things in such a peaceful manner. Right. There's a lot of, of kneeling. I mean, there were people who literally went and just laid on a bridge that I saw pictures of. And I mean, is it getting in the way? Sure, but it's not destructive. It is simply trying to make yourself as as visible as possible is kind of what, what they're going for. Here. Right. And so, you know, it's hard to say what's right, what's wrong. There's so much gray area. It's not just black and white, not to, no pun intended there, but it, it, this is such a huge area of gray. And we're not going to get into all of the intricacies because we still don't understand it. But basically, you know, taking this back to running, you know, being a runner, as a runner, it, it's such a beautiful thing because you can be, male or female you can be any color you can be any age and running is still available to you running is still something that you can do and if you are a runner you understand the challenges that running gives you right running faster running further however it is that you decide to challenge yourself with running that's something that is shared throughout every single runner on the planet that is trying to do the same thing like if Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say runners love challenges and and one person's challenge, like to have two runners next to each other who are both saying, today I'm going to try and run a mile as fast as I possibly can. It doesn't matter what that number means. Mm -hmm. You both understand what that's going to feel like to try to run one mile as fast as you possibly can. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you could even flip it and say, I'm going to try to run four minutes as fast fast as I possibly can and take like an elite level athlete who's going to cover a mile and your everyday weekend warrior who's not going to cover a mile, but have both of them say, I'm literally going to run as fast as I can for the next four minutes Mm -hmm. and, and really understand the connection in that. And it doesn't really matter who the two people are. They understand the challenge that that entails trying to run further than you've ever done you understand the challenge that that entails and that it's it's beyond just a physical challenge that there is a mental difficulty that you have to overcome that you have to put yourself into this space where it's like this is going to be really painful for the next several minutes and i'm still going to do it Mm -hmm. um and and there's sort of a, a connection between runners out there that we, we take pride in putting this challenge in front of us of, of having um, to physically overcome and to mentally overcome and say, yes, I'm strong enough that I can get through this. And it starts opening up other possibilities where you're like, oh, well, I've never, I've never run that fast before. And I did. I wonder what else I could do. I wonder if I could do like a shorter distance, even faster. There's a lot of people who get into running later in life who've never tried to run a mile as fast as possible shrink that down even farther when's the last time you ever tried to see how fast you could run a quarter mile Mm -hmm. like if you didn't get into running until you were in your mid-30s probably never right yeah and i think that this is one of the things that we've talked about many times is having this experimental mindset as a runner like running is a giant experiment right you want to see what you're capable of you want to try to challenge yourself but you have to be able to experiment because in order to properly challenge yourself you basically have to open yourself up to failing you have to be willing to fail and then get up and try again like you might try to 
see how fast you can run a quarter mile and you might have a number in your head and then you might not hit it. Like you might go in just saying, hey, I wonder what I can do, right? And then you run it for the first time. You're like, okay, you know, I hit two minutes, whatever it is. And then the next time you're like, let me see if I can beat it. And you may or may not beat it. But just the choice to try to beat it, to see if you could be better than you were yesterday. Same thing if if you tow the line at any race. If you're you know, going into a half marathon, hoping to PR, there is a large chance that you will not PR, you know? (laughs) So you have to, a lot of things could go haywire. A lot of things can go wrong. So you have to accept the possibility that you might not achieve that thing that you want, that you will quote unquote fail, which really there's no such thing as failure unless you stop trying, but you might not attain whatever number it is or whatever distance it might be, whatever it is that you're shooting for during that time. But you have to be willing to try, to experiment, to figure out what went wrong, and then to try again. Yeah, it's it's one of the reasons why, I mean, Riley's got a book on like heroes and, and different inspirational people. And one of her favorites, which makes me happy, is the Wright Brothers, which I think we've talked about on the podcast before. Of They used to go out every day to try and figure out how to fly, and they would bring like their model for the day like this is what we're gonna try and then they would bring a whole bunch of extra equipment Mm -hmm. because they knew that the one they were heading out with that morning was unlikely to actually fly and so instead of bringing that one having it crash and then having to go all the way back to their workshop they would bring extra material so they could fix it in the field and have several test flights that day that that was that's what they did like they knew that their first attempt was not going to work but that wasn't that didn't mean they were done for the day Mm -hmm. like they brought the equipment to just keep trying um so it's 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 the experimental mindset it's the willingness to just keep pushing even if your first attempt or your second or your third or your fourth didn't work the way that you wanted it to right because ultimately and this is what we we hoped to inspire in you all while listening to this episode like the whole point of real life runners the whole reason we started this podcast and our company is to help people to become better runners but not just for the sake of running the whole goal is to help inspire you to become a better runner so that you will see possibilities in your life that will open you up to what else can I am I capable of like if I was able to do this really hard thing in running how can I apply that to my real life how can I take the lessons that I learn from running and apply that to other areas of my life to challenge myself to push outside of my comfort zone and I think that this is really where we are right now in the world like the one of the whole goals is by you know of real life runners by you challenging yourself and making yourself a better person you're ultimately creating a better world for everyone around you like if you're happier and more fulfilled and more joyful and more grateful you're going to inspire others and and there's the the whole trickle down effect there's the ripple effect of you being a better runner is going to make you a better mother a better parent a better spouse a better sibling a better friend like all of those things right and so we our goal is to help create a better world but this does start with every single individual and I think that this is something that is very applicable to the world that we're living in right now yeah I mean it's it's the idea that one person can in fact make a substantial difference and a lot of people are like well you know there's protests going on with thousands of people. Is that really going to change anything? If I go out and protest instead of a thousand people, it's a thousand one. Is that really going to make a big difference? And there's the quote from Gandhi. There's a story, but it's, I'm going to let you tell it because you like to claim it as your story. It's it's one of my favorite stories. It is one of your favorite stories. So I'm going to let you go with that one. Um, But there's the Gandhi quote that I love, which is be the change you want to see in the world. It's, it's a personal thing. It is not sitting back and waiting for the world to change and then saying, oh, I'm going to get on board that. That seems like a positive thing. But it's actually putting yourself into it. It's actually going out and actively being part of the change, not waiting for change to happen and then jumping on board and saying, yep, I agree with that side. This seems like a good thing. But it's, it's putting yourself into it. Um, and, and this matters because if each individual actually fully invests then it works. When everybody sits back and says, ah, this is going to be something that another person will deal with, that someone else can take care of, then nothing ever really gets done. Right. The change needs to start in your own heart, basically. And, and that's really where we're going to start and where we're 
going to work towards and then from there then we can help other people because unless the change starts within you there's no way you can help anyone else Um, and the story that Kevin was referring to is like the starfish story so I don't know if you guys have maybe heard this before but basically there was an old man that was walking along a beach and the beach was covered in literally thousands of starfish and as he was walking he saw a little boy that was picking up a starfish and throwing it into the ocean and he watched him and he kept doing this over and over again just picking up one starfish and throwing it back into the ocean and so the old man approached the little boy and said what are you doing you there are thousands of starfish on this beach like there's no way that you can make a difference and the little boy looked up at him reached down and grabbed another starfish and threw it back into the ocean and he said I made a difference for that one and I think that this is really where it begins and and I know that I've used this story in um, other talks that I've given because as a, as a kid growing up, like I had, you know, I, I had the blessing of having lots of angels in my life to allow me to get to where I am today. And one of those was a specific man that gave me scholarships through um, high school and then also to help me in college as well. And so I basically said that he was like my little boy, like I was the starfish, that he made a difference by, you know, by him investing in me he made a difference in my life and he allowed me to then hopefully go out and make a difference in more people's lives. And which was the entire point. Like he still gives scholarships to the high school that I teach at, which was the high school that Angie graduated from. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's still a scholarship program. And the idea is not that he's just helping kids pay tuition at the high school. That's great. But it's that he's picking kids that will then go off and do more things and help inspire others. They're trying to create more individuals who can then go off and help fund and provide scholarships to other kids. Mm -hmm. It's, it's that it goes from one generation to the next, to the next. It's not just that he helped Angie and then that was the end of the story. No, it's all about paying it forward. Right. That's the whole concept of this mm-hmm. thing. And, and that was a great movie. You know, like the... Yes. Was that, was that the name too. of the movie, Pay yes. It Forward? I mean, it, it's so true though. Like when you can make a difference to one person, you have no idea what the ripple of effect of that could be. You know, and, and I think that this is super important for us because I know that I've found myself in this kind of um, analysis paralysis, right, of I don't know what to do. What can I do? Like, I am not a lawmaker. I am not on the board of, like, any type of organization. Like, what can I do as an individual? And I I believe that it obviously starts in your heart, acknowledging the um, biases and the prejudice prejudice that you have in inside of you because we all do okay I I don't consider myself a racist person but I can see now that I do hold racist ideas because it's something that society has just pumped into us for our entire lives yes I mean this really kind of moves into the next the next thing that I want to cover is you need to begin by empowering yourself by realizing the power that you already have and accepting that it might not seem like like your running is somehow going to directly change the world, but your running can change you. It can make you f- realize the strength inside of you, and that can help change the world. Even if it just changes a few people around you, then those few people can change a few more. Suddenly you've changed the look of your town. The changing the look of your town changes the county, which expands to the state. It grows. Um, you know, there's I, I can't remember the details of it, but there was a story... Um, that, that I like to tell in class. I've got a whole slew of inspirational stories I read in my classes, but that was the one of like this man who always wanted to basically change the world and looked at, I need to change the world and was trying to always for his entire life to figure out what the giant plan was that he could change the world. And he's there in his deathbed and he realized that he never bothered to change himself. And by changing himself, he then could have changed his family. And by changing the family, then it goes to the next level. And it it starts on such a personal level. And that that individual change then changes the group right around you. Mm -hmm. You don't have to try to change the millions of people in the world. If you start with your group, it expands and grows. 
in a positive way. Mm-hmm. You know, we've been talking a lot on COVID of like, well, this is how the infection could spread. And you got to be careful with the people around you because it spreads from one person to the next very easily. So can positivity. Mm-hmm. Like it can spread from, from your family to the neighboring family and into the whole neighborhood and grows in such a positive way. That's, that's the best part of exponential growth. Right. Exactly. Um, and you know, the whole idea that running can change the world, it really can. Like, And I think that we have to accept that as a possibility because like Kevin said, not only does it change you and then you can inspire others and then you can have like ripple effects in your family and your community and then that can just keep going. You never know. But runners do a lot of races are, are for charities, right? That, oh, that yeah. actually do change the world. That yes, actually you know, inspire, like not inspire, but, um, benefit these causes, right? Whether it's social equality, whether it's cancer research, whether it's mental health awareness, like all of these races, not all of the races, I would, I guess, so many, so I I saw a statistic yesterday that said 95% of the races on the, you know, the one website run sign up. That's one of the common ones. ones. Um, so 95% of the races on run sign up are for charities. They're, they're charity based causes. This is one of the issues of not having races right now. Right. I mean, for a while, I used to be like, oh, it's annoying that people can get into a Boston Marathon with a charity bib. They can't run run the time. But, like, really? Like, I was offended by people raising money towards great causes. Like, that mm-hmm. doesn't seem like a good place to be. Well, that was a running elitist. You know, like, you, were, you weren't racist, but you were, like, elitist. I was elitist. Yeah. Still an ass. <laughs> Oh, goodness. Be careful. Be careful. This is a family show, Kevin. Family show. Family show. So it's true, though. Like, running literally can change the world. And you becoming a runner can make you a better person and help you to then change your community. So anyone that says that one person can't make a difference is just simply wrong. Yes. Yes, it's a good point. I mean, running helps you see your power. It sees your strength. It sees your resiliency. And it goes beyond, I have power in my quads to run up that hill. It moves beyond running mm-hmm. of, I've got mental strength to overcome the challenge of running up and over that mountain there. Like running has this huge mental challenge to it. If you're going to try and run as far or as fast or whatever the challenge is, there's way more than the physical challenge of it. Like a huge aspect of running is once you've reached that point where it physically hurts, now you have to mentally accept, do I want to stay there or am I going to pull back? And part of being able to run at your best is to be able to sit in that spot that feels uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And I saw a snippet of an interview as I was scrolling through my Instagram feed, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago. It was a, an ultra runner that talked, that was their phrase. It was like, I know when I get to a point where my body is aching all over that it's not going to get worse than that. Mm. This is like a hundred mile ultra runner. And he's like, you know, somewhere around 30 miles, it really hurts, but it's never going to get worse. Really? He goes, it doesn't get worse from 30 to a hundred. <laughs> he goes, so then, so I know that I can handle that because I've, I handled that for the last mile. So I can just keep going because it's not going to get worse. So you just sit in the uncomfortable, mm-hmm. but sitting in the uncomfortable is, you know, not comfortable. It's not comfortable. And then that's really where we're, where we find ourselves right now. So a lot of us, myself included, are very uncomfortable with what's happening right now in the world and in our country and don't know what to do about it. But I think that it's important for us to acknowledge and like Kevin said, sit in the uncomfortable, allow ourselves to be uncomfortable and not just like turn our, our heads away and not, and not see it, you know, or pretend not to see it or pretend that it, it doesn't exist because it does exist. It's real and it's there. Yeah. I mean, this podcast is kind of tricky it was tricky for for me to create an outline for him like you know we do a very running based and pretend this is not happening right now and give some strategies on what to do in your upcoming race and how to train when there's not a race on the schedule and you know some very specific running details yeah but but that's not what we do no it it glosses over the reality of the world and we are real life runners helping to guide people to run their lives and this this is the life that we've got right now so Mm -hmm. we need to actually accept what's out there and not just sort of be like, eh, great, I'm going to go on my run because it doesn't directly affect you. Like, it does. We're all, in fact, connected. This affects 
all of us. It does. And so, you know, being a runner, it it helps to open up this world of possibilities. You can empower yourself to understand that you can rise to the challenge. You can do hard things. But then you need a goal and a plan. So just like in running, where you need a goal and a plan if you truly want to improve as a runner – we're going to need some sort of direction on what to do in this uncomfortable space as well. Right. So um, my thought on this one, I was like, okay, so how do I connect this thing to running? I'm like, some people get into running. They're like, all right, I'm just going to keep adding just an extra three minutes onto my run every day until I can run for an hour. I'm going to add an extra tenth of a mile until I can run five miles. Mm-hmm. Like whatever the, the thing is, they just keep adding every single day. Or I'm just going to sprint as fast as I possibly can and sort of taking action just for the sake of action. And that doesn't necessarily get you the results. Certainly not as fast as you could. Like we need a goal. You need an actual place that you're directing and then the plan that can get you there as efficiently as possible. And this is where it kind of starts to get a little complex because the situation we find us in, like, look, if you need a plan for how to train for a marathon, a half marathon, I know a lot of the details to that. We got you on that. (laughs) It's still kind of grayer because there's multiple ways to get at it, but I know various ways to get at it. I've got the details to that. Like how to fix systemic racial inequality in society. I'm not sure. We don't have that. Fix, I, don't, you know? I don't have that answer. We I did don't. not read that book. But the thing is, you know, for you to gain the knowledge that you have and for me to have the knowledge that I have about the human body and about training and racing and running and all of the things about the most effective ways to train people, um, that's involved a lot of years of experience and trial and error. Like we have worked with so many runners over the years, like hundreds of runners. And what works for one doesn't always work for the other. But now we, after figuring it out and getting in and getting muddy and getting dirty, like we understand the different types of runners now. We can more easily help runners more quickly because we've been in all of that before. So it's it's only by being knee deep in it that you have the experiences that you need in order to be, you know, to, to gain the clarity on how to move forward and how to help other people more. And I think that that's kind of where we are right now. Like we're in the muck. Yes. Yes. You have to get in the muck. You can't ignore it. I mean, that's kind of what we were saying before is you can't just gloss over what's happening and pretend that you're not in it. Um, Part of the uncomfortableness is realizing that you may in fact be part of the problem. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things of, of learning what's going on and learning the details and the nuance and the complexity of what's going on is taking a look at your own personal um, dynamic, essentially, like the network of people around you. How diverse is that network? Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I was thinking about this on on my as I was running this morning, knowing that we were about to record the podcast. I'm like, how diverse is my network? Right. Not like I, I know the the life that I grew up in from birth. Like, I went to the schools that were like the private Catholic schools. They were the schools where there was like the two or three African-American families. Mm-hmm. Like you have white privilege. Yes. Yeah. Like that's, that's it what exists it exists and you had it. Yes. <laughs> like when, like to, to go to a school where you're like, where you could say um, like a person's name and they would know, oh, that's the black kid in fifth grade. Like that was, that was how white my school was because that, did, that wasn't like, ooh, well, that could be any of these several kids. No, no, no. That was the black kid in fifth grade. Right. As opposed to, like, the one black kid in eighth grade. Mm-hmm. Because that was the numbers at my school. Right. Like, we had, we had more Asian and, and Hispanic diversity, but the African-American element of where, where I lived there it just wasn't there. Right. And then I went from that to high school. It didn't increase all that much. College did not increase all that much. You know, we send our kids to a school right now, like the neighborhood we live in, there's just not that much diversity in it. So part of this is realizing that my network is not very diverse. It's part of why I love bringing the girls um, when, when you're able to make this thing happen to have them come to a track meet. Because that's about the most diverse setting that we have that is relatively easy, easily accessible. Mm-hmm. You know, I coach the track team. You go to the meets. There are people of all sorts of shapes and sizes and all sorts of different ethnicities 
all being out there pushing themselves in great athletic accomplishments. Mm-hmm. I love that environment. Yeah. It's a great environment. It is a great environment. And, you know, I, I wish that there were more opportunities for that, you know. Um, and I think that part of this is actively seeking them out, too. Yes. Um, part of all of this is actively trying to listen and learn and actively seek out opportunities of this. And, you know, it's funny that you were just talking and I just noticed a thought in me that like just popped up and I might as well just share it because it can, like, I understand that I'm part of the problem. I'm, I'm trying to change that. Okay. I want to be a part of the solution and not the problem. I don't want to ignore this anymore. I want to learn and listen and figure out what we can do to try to make this world a better place for all races. Um, and make our children's generation better than we are. Mm-hmm. Um, but you were just saying that the track meet is a place of a lot of diversity and, and lots of lots of different races and, and colors and all of that. And one of the first thoughts that popped into my head was, yeah, and it's safe. Like a track meet is, <laughs> is a safe place to, to do that, you know, because I think that and, and that's probably a bias that I have that like, you know, other places that might be more diverse, like, is it safe? You know, and I think that that might be a thought that a lot of white people have, like white people that have privilege, you know, how especially if we're not used to a diverse network of people, like if you ha- have a lot of diversity in your circle, that's fantastic. And you probably don't have as many of the biases that like we have, you Mm -hmm. know, that we have growing up in a, in a more, um, you know, white community, white middle to upper class community. Like if you don't have that network, you, you wonder like, you know, okay, well, if I go outside of this, outside of my little bubble, is it going to be safe? And I think it's just, we sometimes confuse difference um, like this is just different. That doesn't mean it's dangerous, but it means that it's different. And, you know, because our brains are wired to protect us, right? So we are basically wired to treat these unfamiliar situations as threatening because they're unknown. You know, it's fear of the unknown. We don't understand it because it's not a part of our current bubble. So when we go into those places, it's like you are, you're kind of on high alert. Like you're not sure if you should be there, if it's going to be safe, you know? And I think that that's part of that just very, very deep rooted racial bias that we all have. It's part of why you, you look at the track meet and you're like, well, that's a safe environment to do it inside of, to expand diversity inside of that. Cause it's sort of like, well, I understand the environment of a track meet. I understand the environment of mm-hmm. the running community. And I understand the mentality of runners. Right. So this seems like a good way of sort of bridging this, but it, it's still, it's, it's at least a step. It's a step. It's right. a step of trying to you know, let our, let, literally let our, st- our children know that there is more people in the world than simply the rest of the generally white group of kids that you go to school with. Mm-hmm. I mean, and, and it's true, like based off of where we live and the school that we send them to, that's, that's the em- environment that they grow up with. Right. And I think it's interesting too, to, to note that a lot of times kids don't see color. Like this is, you know, that's one thing I think that's interesting about this conversation now right is that people back in the 90s it was like I don't see color like that was the way for us to show that we are progressive and not racist right is that like there's no such thing as color like we I don't see color we're all the same we're all one big human race and that is true we are all one big human race but you know kind of what people are pointing out now is that to say to see that is also to ignore the differences in cultures and in, in, in experiences that different races have had. And we don't want to do that either. Right. It glosses over the important differences that people have. And, and the people, then the differences that people are proud of also, yes. you know, like there's a lot of pride in the black community, in the Asian, in the Latino, like what all of the different communities, there's a lot of pride that people have, like yes. in the <laughs> Italian community, like, you know, people like to just lump all white people in, in with each other and there are so many differences between Italians and Irish and Germans and English like and, and those people a, a lot of times are very proud of that of the differences between that yes see my my grade school um, we were culturally diverse because there were the people from like the uh, 
northern part of Europe and then the people from the southern part of Europe as heritage. Right. So there was literally like the people who were proud of their Irish heritage mm-hmm. and the people who were proud of their Italian heritage and the people who were proud of their German heritage. Mm-hmm. And so during the course of the year, and then we had like a, a decent like Mexican and Hispanic population. So um, we celebrated during the year, we had an Oktoberfest. We had a St. Patrick's Day celebration Mm -hmm. and we had a fiesta, which was the the name for our school carnival Mm -hmm. because it celebrated all of the different cultures within it. Mm -hmm. Maybe not all, but several. I'm looking at the school that's pretty much of the major size groups that we had. It kind of broke around a third into each direction. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was was kind of interesting to see the difference. I was talking about... um, you know, we refer to our kids as like, they're, they're kind of like European mutts. I like to refer to them mm-hmm. to, uh, to my kids when I go over like how to do, uh, family trees and stuff in my biology class. And I was talking to, to the one biology class about how the countries that I, my ancestors came from and that yours came from are very different parts of Europe. Mm-hmm. So even though we're both, you know, white, we really gave a whole bunch of different diversity to our kids because they brought in different parts of of Europe when they came together. And one of my students sitting right in front of me who is African-American looks at me, he goes, is that really diversity? I go, it, it is. It's different parts of Europe. And to say that you're Italian and to say that you're British are very, very different things. Mm-hmm. And he kind of just paused for a second. He goes, huh. I never thought about that. Right, but I mean, it's the same within any anyone of, of a different skin color, too. Like, the differences in um, black people from Africa is, are different than those from the Bahamas. Yes. You know, like, those are two very different cultures. Very much. You know, or the one, people from the Mideast. Like, there are, there are people of all colors in all areas of the world, and all of those are different cultures and different experiences. Yeah. You mentioned a thing which made me smile earlier of how you pointed out that sometimes little kids don't, don't see the differences in colors. They, they do. Oh, yeah. They just don't think that they're all that important. They don't, it doesn't matter. Right. Like, it reminds me of, um, I think it was our little one that we went to the store and, uh, I think your mom took her to the store actually. And she went down the aisle that had like all the dolls in it and they weren't like the Barbie dolls. They were like the knockoff Barbie dolls. And she went down and, and your mom was like, you can pick any doll that you want. And she goes, I want the yellow one. I was like, mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Why, why are we referring to that as the yellow one? And she grabbed the yellow one off of the shelf and like picked it. She goes, that the yellow dress is so beautiful. And you know, I, I look at it and I was like, well, she pick the black doll mm-hmm. on, on a shelf of all sorts of dolls of, it was kind of an interesting shelf of various colors and stuff. She wanted the one that had the beautiful yellow dress and she referred to it as the yellow doll, right. never acknowledging the fact that that doll had a different skin tone than the other dolls inside of her dollhouse at home. Right. That was the, that was the yellow doll. It had a beautiful yellow dress mm-hmm. that to her, that was the most outstanding feature, right. which was beautiful to see. And then, I mean, just my immediate thought on, oh, it was interesting that she picked the black doll, shows my own personal bias because right. that's what I saw first in that thing. Right, but that's kind of what we're conditioned to see as well. Yes. And that's that, that's kind of what we're talking about here with all of these biases that we don't even really understand um, that they exist and how they basically are put onto us through society. Like, as a little kid, you probably didn't have those biases. And then whatever culture you grew up in, put those biases onto you and so you just start to see the world a little differently and I think recognizing that is really important for us to then move forward to try to do something about it right which takes us to beyond having a goal we need specific actions the same way that leaping in running from one plan to the next or within like three different plans during the same training cycle is not the best way to improve your racing ability, neither are uncoordinated efforts. Right. Like if you even know the goal of what we're trying to get out of trying to solve racial inequality, you pick a specific goal within that and you you don't know the steps it's going to take to get there, then it's not going to be an effective way of of trying to achieve that goal. And this, again, takes us to the point where we need to pause and not take action just for the sake of action, but pause and see what actions are going to cause the change that we would like to see in the world. Right. And if you're not sure, that's where you start to learn, right? You you have to start doing your research. Like, and... 
this is the thing is like there are so many organizations out there, right? And some people just want to throw money at organizations. But is that organization something that you believe in? Is is that organization something that's really going to use your money in an effective way that you believe in? Because I think that's really important. Like there are so many different ways that we can attack this issue. And the question is finding something that you feel aligned with, you know? So as runners, like we, we're going to try to figure this out, how we can help the running community become more diverse, you know, like help promote diversity in the running community. There already is to an extent, but there is a lot of inequality and disparity even in the running community. So by helping out in that way, like maybe that's where we start. Like we, we haven't figured out exactly where we want to start yet, but the key is to research, you know, don't just start throwing your money at, at different places places that you're not even sure what they do. I mean, this is the same thing when you you give money to any charity. Like there's, what's the, the website? There's a charity tracker website that yeah. literally like checks to see how effectively does that charity use your money. Yeah, there are certain charities I will not ever donate to. I mean, if they're using like more than half of the money to pay, give a paycheck to the people on the board of the charity, right. that's not really a, a good use of your money. So saying, oh, I need to give money to this cause because... You know, just because it's going to make you feel better, it's going to make it feel like you've contributed to the cause. Mm-hmm. Do some research and make sure that you actually want to donate to that charity. Like if that's if that's how you feel as though you can empower is by using your financial resources, check and see where they're actually going, that it's a good use of money. And then it's not just putting money out there just to put money out there. Right. Because, you know, we have to continually educate ourselves and our families, you know, like bring this back to running and health like do you find it important to show your kids how to exercise and eat healthy you know I know I think that's a big reason that a lot of us do what we do we want to set a good example for our kids for other people in our lives we want to be a role model we want to do better for ourselves so that we can inspire other people around us and also just to do better for ourselves, right? Like maybe you had a, a person in your life that didn't take care of themselves, like a parent, and you wish that they would have. And, and so you're going to choose to be that person that you wish you had so that you can do better for the next generation, right? So just like it's important for us to exercise and eat healthy and then also model those things for our children and for it to really stick we have to do the same thing on how we're treating other people in this world right are you modeling good behavior towards others like are you treating people equally are you treating people fairly do you treat people with prejudice and injustice like how exactly are you reacting because like they say Kids will learn so much more by watching you than by listening to you. Yes. I mean, that's, that's a huge aspect of kids are going to, to learn very much by, by what you're doing, what you're saying that, that you might not hear, but that you might not think that they're hearing. Kids always hear. They're hearing everything. Yeah. Um, and some of it might not be easy. Some of it might actually be a conversation that is uncomfortable and trying to have a conversation with a kid uh, especially kid under the age of like 10 where their attention span is not really <laughs> strong with you right. on a difficult concept. It could be as difficult as trying to get the kid to eat green beans because they're going to be good for them. Trying to have a conversation about racial inequality with an eight-year-old, with a six-year-old is going to be not the easiest conversation to have, but is it is it that worthwhile and I think the answer is yes. It is. And it's also helped, helpful to keep it in small doses. Like, so just like the Agreed. same, you know, with, with little kids with eating healthy, right? Maybe the goal is just to have them eat one green bean or to have them do like one sprint, you know, to, to show them how fun it is. Like keeping it in small doses can also really be helpful because like Kevin said, they have a short attention span and they also can't understand things on the complex level that, that it is. But there's some sort of very small lesson that you can continually try to instill. Yeah, so it's it's the continually teaching little lessons just to bring awareness mm-hmm. um, on that level. Um, you know, because like you said, like a lot of, of younger kids don't think that there's an issue because to them there's not an issue. It's literally not even on their radar. The more they grow up and the more that they 
they kind of live in the world around them. They, they see the, uh, the inequality, and then it just sort of carries over as a natural progression in their life. But at a certain age, it doesn't even exist to them. It's not on their radar. It's, it comes from the world around them. So you almost have to present and say, hey, this is what exists, which seems almost wrong. Yeah. Of like, hey, well, these are some of the problems going on in the world. I know. And it's honestly very difficult because it's like, do you want to bring attention to something that they don't even realize is an issue yet? And and that's, you know, one of the things with our kids that we talk about how they didn't really notice color. I'm sure they did, but they never really mentioned it, um, skin color and differences in skin color until our oldest started learning about Martin Luther King in first grade. Like that's yes. the first time that she ever really learned the term black people, yes. you know? And I'm like, so even when, when she was coming home and started to talk about it, I even said to Kevin, I'm like, is this a good thing? Like, you know, like she didn't even never mentioned a, a person's like the color of a person's skin before and now this is being brought to her, her attention and her awareness is this even a good thing and the answer is yes you know it is we do need to be aware of it we just have to handle it in the right way and and, and quote unquote right way like that's the blurry part right and that's not the most comfortable thing so i mean i think especially on kids we need to find like you said small doses but also what is the teaching social inequality equivalent of grinding up vegetables and putting into the taco meat? Because we need that. We need that right. version. Well, and I think that that's that, you know, it's just spreading that message of equality and like love and really just approaching everything through love and equality. Like not you don't necessarily. I don't know. Pe- people might d- d- disagree with me on this, but like. Pointing out all the differences I don't think is super helpful in a lot of ways. And and that's part of my issue with some of the stuff that's going on. Like there are organizations out there that I am totally supporting right now. And then there's others that I don't think are going about it the right way. And so to keep pointing out all the differences, like is it important? I think to an extent. But I think that it's more important to keep spreading that message of unity and equality and and trying our best to be inclusive as the running community is. Well, I mean, that's that's kind of the the great equivalent of you need a a training plan that fits the goal in the most effective way for you. Mm -hmm. If you're trying to change, you know, centuries of of inequality, you need a plan that's going to start chipping away at it. To suggest burn the whole system down and let's overhaul it from the start is going to be tricky to get a lot of people behind you on that one. It seems too overwhelming. It's too radical. Right. It seems too much. There's There are people, there are certainly runners out there who are running crazy, crazy distances, but not everybody. To try and convince somebody who's never run before of, all right, I'm going to turn you from couch potato into ultra marathoner. Yeah. Like you're totally capable of running a hundred miles and they've never run one mile. Right. It, it seems too overwhelming. And so they won't start the journey. Right. I think that that's where we're at right now is we just need to continue taking steps, actual, clear, measurable, definable steps, see the wins, see the victories, celebrate the victories, mm-hmm. but celebrate the victory is not the final victory but still a step on a path. Yeah. Because, you know, one of the greatest aspects of running is the inclusive character of running, of runners, right? There's a a pretty low barrier of entry when it comes to running. Like there's not a ton of special equipment. There's not a lot of detailed rules. You basically need to put some shoes on your feet. And for those of you that like to run barefoot, not even. You don't need to. (laughs) Right? And you just get out the door and you run. And that makes you a runner. It doesn't matter how old you are and I, and I tell people this all the time because like this these are the excuses that we hear like when we try to encourage people to become runners or to just try running like they're like oh I'm too old oh I have bad knees oh I'm overweight oh I'm this I'm that and there's all these excuses that we hear pop up but you can still be a runner you just have to do it in a way that's right for you mm-hmm yeah, so I mean that's that's really one of what makes running so awesome. Um, you know, we started talking about races and how races can kind of unite runners together to try and achieve a, a common goal. Um, but it starts way before that. It starts with literally opening the door and heading out and and taking a run. Like that's. 
that's an amazing uniting thing. And it's kind of tricky to do that right now while mm-hmm. keeping social distance, but it's still a great unifying thing. So, um, you know, beyond that, inside of the world of running, inside of, of beyond that, living with this passive attitude is is not enough. The same way that you can't just maintain your your running at the same level. I'm going to do this three-mile loop at the same pace every time I go out and run. It's not going to improve you as a runner. That's the same passive attitude that you can't have towards the inequality in the world right now. You can't say, oh, well, it's good enough right now because it's not. It needs to actually continue to improve. Like you need to be striving towards improvement on a regular basis. Right. I mean, because, you know, if anybody wants to argue that the human race doesn't need to continue to improve, like we do, (laughs) you know what I mean? Like we can always be better. And that's what we do as runners. Like we're constantly striving to be better. Like we are striving to be better as individuals. We are striving to make our families better, our communities better, our nation and the world a better place. Like we can continue to improve and who knows what that's going to look like, but we need to take steps to at least try. We need to be willing to experiment. We need to be willing to learn, to try something out, and then to admit that that wasn't the right way to do it, you know, and, and to go back and figure it out and then try something else. And But to continually try to work towards improvement is something that we need to do as runners and then just as human beings trying to make this world a better place. Yeah, so move move beyond the overwhelm. Okay, this, is, this goes beyond like couch to ultra it it is a a large hill that needs to be overcome but um as we said in a podcast i don't know a few weeks ago when you were still on frozen two kick what's the next right step mm-hmm. um just you need the next move the you next need... right thing that there it is not the <laughs> next right step oh my god i totally ruined it <laughs> um, we might have to watch frozen two this afternoon just to make sure that you're on top of that please no um <laughs> But you you need to take steps. You need to learn what you can do and then take action. And if that's not the right action, then go back and learn some more and take another step and just keep moving forward. Yeah, so I think we should kind of wrap up this episode by just stating that we believe in unity. We believe in equality for all. We believe in approaching this out of love and be willing to learn more and have hard conversations and get uncomfortable so that we can make ourselves better and make the world a better place. Yeah, I mean, I think that's that's a big one that you hit there is approach it from love and be willing to be uncomfortable is two very key aspects of this. Yeah, because this conversation really is more than just race. It's a it's a conversation about our collective humanity. You know, like we are all a part of the human race and every person in the human race deserves to be treated that way. Mm-hmm. Deserves to be treated with the same amount of respect and dignity and have the, the same rights as any other person. Very very good point you make. So, that's what we've got for you guys this week. We hope that you Gained a little bit of insight from this conversation. I don't know if we've helped in any way. I hope that we have. That's our goal. And we'd love to hear your thoughts on it too. Um, You know, open conversation, respectful conversations that we can have over in the Facebook tribe. If you want to be a part, we have a Facebook group over at realliferunnerstribe.com. You can request access there. But again, approaching everything through love, through respect, um, and just being willing to get uncomfortable. So thank you guys so much for joining us. We appreciate you spending this time with us today. This has been the Real Life Runners episode number 143. Now get out there and run your life.